events on the wood energy sector, where we'll be asking whether wood energy can be an ally for the sustainable management of EU forests. My name is Dave Keating. I'm coming at you live from the Euractive Studios in the heart of the EU quarter, and I'm going to be guiding us through tonight's discussion. Now, the EU has been looking for ways to increase the share of renewables in energy consumption in order to meet its 2030 and 2050 climate goals. As part of that effort, the EU has been looking at bioenergy. But there's also been concern that bioenergy should be sustainable, and so sustainability and greenhouse gas emissions reduction requirements have been increasingly stringent over the past years for certain bioenergy sectors. In July 2021, the European Commission proposed a revision of the Renewable Energy Directive, strengthening the sustainability and greenhouse gas reduction criteria, especially for forest biomass, following a study by the Commission's JRC. The Council and the Parliament have now adopted their positions, which will be the basis for the ongoing trilogue negotiations to end up with a final version of the legislation. Now, the position adopted by the European Parliament includes a new definition of primary woody biomass that refers to all wood taken directly from forests, with a few exceptions. This includes small wood and branches on the ground, for instance. And this definition is then used to cap the use of primary woody biomass and make it ineligible for financial support. Some stakeholders and governments have questioned whether these limitations could make it harder to meet the EU's renewable energy goals. Others say that these limitations are really important and necessary to make sure that bioenergy is truly sustainable. In particular, countries in the wood energy sector that rely on wood as their primary source of renewable energy have expressed concern. So today we're going to talk about the rules for the wood energy sector, and as negotiations continue, we'll discuss what is the best way to define primary woody biomass in the revision of the Renewable Energy Directive. So let me introduce the panelists that are with us today to talk about these issues. Joining us remotely, we have Sarah Mubareka, Scientific and Technical Officer and Team Leader at the Joint Research Center, the JRC, which advises the European Commission. We have here to my left, Vila Nenisto, a Finnish MEP and a member of the European Parliament's Environment and Industry Committees. We have Pauline Lucas, who is Policy Director for the District Heating Association Euroheat and Power. We have Martin Pigeon, Forest and Climate Campaigner at the NGO FERN. And we have Pierre de Montliveau, President of the Federation of Energy and Environmental Services, FEDEN. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'd also point out to the audience, both here in the room and, and online, you'll be able to ask your questions to the panelists using Slido. So if you're here in the room, you'll see a little slip of paper with a QR code on it. You can scan that. It'll take you to Slido, and you can ask your questions there, and I'll read them out at the end of the panel. If you're online, you'll see uh, a space to be able to put in your questions. So, Sarah, I'd like to start with you remotely, because um, you've been working on these issues and, and studying these issues. What would you say is the impact of EU forestry policy, such as the RED, uh, su such as the Renewable Energy Directive, from a systems perspective? What has been the effect? Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Keating, for the question. Thank you to the organizers for inviting me. Um, the system's perspective is essential uh, when addressing impacts of policy on forests. 
The first system to consider, of course, is the ecosystem, which in itself is already much larger than the individual trees, because we're now considering the interaction and the role of those trees within a community of different uh, biotic and abiotic features, you know, fungi, mammals, birds, insects, parasites, soil, air, etc. composition of a forest. If we're talking about policy, then we have to take a step back from the forest ecosystem and encompass society as well. And now we're in the socio-ecological realm where the network is even more complex and intertwined and dominated by humans, their policies and their economic interests. But we still can't consider this the whole system because we have to take it another step back and include the well-worn concept of sustainability, which automatically implies an additional dimension, and that's the dimension of time. I think that the biggest mistake that we can make is to perform silo studies while trying to understand impacts of policies. If we myopically examine impacts only from one dimension, for example, the climate change mitigation potential dimension, because it's quantifiable and accountable, we miss all the rest. Last year, the JRC published a study followed up by a paper that you mentioned in your introduction. By the way, we that was not why a revision was done. I would love to take the credit, but it's not the case. Um, the paper was about win-win and lose-lose pathways for bioenergy. There, we had only uh, we only had to add one dimension to the climate change mitigation potential dimension, and that was biodiversity. Out of the many that could have been added, I mean, think of all the ecosystem services provided by forests. The results surprised us in that um, the pathways, the ones that many consider as silver bullet pathways, such as you know, afforesting grasslands, were seen in a completely new light. So just by stepping out of our domain and into the one of forest ecologists, we ascertain that actually most of the pathways that we examined are harmful to biodiversity. So imagine if we put all the dimensions together, you would have massive trade-offs all over the place. And that's where the role of policymakers is so difficult because they have to take decisions knowing that there are trade-offs and they have to prioritize. But they can only do this if they're informed about these trade-offs. Uh, that's the role of the scientific community to expand the knowledge base uh, so important decisions are not taken in the dark. The first step for scientists though uh, is to be honest with how we define sustainable. Is it only sustainable production or a fully sustainable system? Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sarah. It's indeed, there's it's a complicated mix there when you're looking at the data behind this, and we'll delve more into that in the discussion. Vila, I want to turn to you next. Um, you're coming from the parliament, so tell us, how does EU law recognize the importance of forests as carbon sinks now, and what possible changes are we looking at here with the, the new revision? Well, um, obviously, a pleasure to be here to discuss this issue with you, and I think this is uh, such a complex issue that we need to start from, from looking uh, well ahead uh, where we want to land within 30, 40 years, and, and from that perspective, try to create a pathway there and not lock ourselves into using bioenergy in a way which creates increasing harm to biodiversity, and that harm increases decade by decade. So, so in, in many places, you can see that in the short term, in many member states, uh, bioenergy currently uh, can be a better alternative than the most uh, bad alternatives, that is, that is fossil fuels. But at the same time, investing more into that means that we get stuck ourselves in, into burning 
uh, as a source of, of, of creating energy. And what we need to look at when we look 20, 30 years forward, we should go beyond burning. We have better energy solutions than, than burning. Uh, burning wood is maybe slightly better than fossil fuels. You can even, depending on how it's been harvested and what are the biodiversity effects. Uh, but if you look at EU's carbon sink policy, what was your question as well? I was Parliament's rapporteur on LULUCF. We have a deal on that with, with the Council now, which will be accepted both in, in the Parliament and, and in, in the Corepa in the coming months. Uh, I have to kind of like acknowledge that the carbon sink targets that EU has for 2030 is just about, you know, restoring the things we had 10 years ago. So uh, what we have done, how we account uh, burning, burning wood for energy is that we discount the CO2 emissions that burning wood creates because, you know, all burning creates CO2 emissions, fossil fuels and, and, and uh, wood alike. But since we have the sink policy and we kind of like... Um, have agreed that this discount in ETS is given to wood energy, which, which is a, a form of support, uh, is then taken into account into the carbon sink policy. But since our sinks policy, we start to have a sink policy. Member states need to increase their sink work on their land use sustainability, but it's still really modest. So the sink policy in itself does not limit uh, the use of wood in a way where uh, added value and high-end products would be the goal of bioeconomy. So, so my main message here is that I think it's good that the parliament created a, a cap and, and a ceiling for freezing the use of bioenergy and all investments could, should go into better solutions and, and maybe if there is any room for burning in the longer term, it should be industrial side streams that are hard to avoid. But many of those also can be used for products and, and, and textile production and these kind of things. So, so we should look at added value when we develop bioeconomy because that's the only way to make it beneficial in, in uh, addressing climate change. If we just burn wood, it's, it creates biodiversity losses and does not help to negate emissions uh, uh, compared to fossil fuels in, in a large extent. Thanks, and we'll talk more about that cap in the discussion. Pauline, let's turn to you next from the perspective of Yorohi and power. What role does biomass play in district energy? So thanks for your uh, question, Dave. Uh, first, uh, let me uh, place things in, in perspective. So the, the current energy crisis is actually uh, also a heating crisis, and uh, we repeated it constantly, but half of our energy demand is actually coming from the heating and cooling sector, and this is over 40% covered by uh, gas, natural gas. Um, so the real challenge that we are having or facing within the next two to three years is uh, actually to, to ensure energy security and um, basically keeping ourselves warm uh, and our industries afloat. So our perspective on this is that we must uh, use whole uh, energy, uh, all sustainable heating sources that we have at hand, and this includes with the biomass, and uh, this uh, in order to uh, decarbonize the heating sector uh, that we are part of and also making the, the system more resilient. So in terms of numbers, uh, sustainable bioenergy makes up 20% uh, uh, of the, the district heating mix. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's an important uh, resource for our decarbonization and defossilization uh, of heating. And that also in, in many cities where uh, primarily an, an urban uh, technology, but not only. 
so as fossil fuels are being phased out uh, from district heating, our supply for clean electricity will also diversify. So on the one hand, we will keep uh, using um, uh, bioenergy, but on the other hand, we will also uh, diversify and complete this mix with other um, energy uh, sources, such as geothermal, um, solar thermal, green electricity, so in, in large-scale heat pumps or e-boilers, and um, as well as recovering um, sustainable and local uh, waste heat from industry or tertiary sources. So in this context, being still able to recover wood residue um, that cannot be used for other uh, uses uh, is, uh, is a synergy. It enables, it enables us to uh, have uh, sustainable uh, production of clean energy and also uh, avoid the, the wastage or the waste of uh, precious resources. So however, on the other hand, we are um, fully aware uh, that there are concerns around the sustainability. Um, but um, from the perspective of our sector, we have some concerns about the, the proposal of the European Parliament uh, on primary woody biomass uh, definition. And um, what is clear is that we need to ensure that the sustainability framework uh, accurately reflects uh, the reality, the sustainability practices of the sector. And um, I think we need also to, to clarify the fact that bioenergy is not uh, the, the driver for harvesting uh, wood, uh, but is rather uh, a way to, um, to, to use these uh, resources um, circularly. So we need to ensure to conclude um, that we are using this uh, resource within the boundaries of sustainability um, and uh, to, to ensure that local authorities can still benefit from, from funding uh, when they are exploiting sustainably this uh, resource. Martin, um, what, what would you say are the main concerns about Europe's forests right now? And would you agree that bioenergy is not the the driver for deforestation? I would not agree with that. Um, I mean, there's a number of points here. First of all, I've seen in your introduction as well that there would have, so there is no proposal to restrict the use of primary woody biomass. Let's be, let's be very clear about that. This is not about energy security. The red is about market incentives for energy companies. It is not about regulating people's uses. So please stop with this one. Second, I'm really wondering how you can decarbonize anything by burning wood. Uh, burning, you know, burning wood emits more CO2 per unit of energy produced than any other fuel, almost. Uh, of course, trees can grow back, but that, you know, climate change makes this less certain, uh, as we've seen last summer. So the whole question really is about how to uh, mobilize, how, how burning wood can provide a climate benefit in a time scale that is compatible with the climate, uh, with the climate crisis. Uh, and it is pretty clear from the literature that only fast decaying residues from wood processing actually give you that, because then the counterfactual is counted in years and not decades. And that's really important. Uh, for me, I must say, the world changed very much the day I understood that the meaning of the climate crisis is that we no longer have the time for trees to grow back. That's what it means to be in a climate crisis. Uh, and you have to adapt your policy accordingly. Um, residues and sustainably managed forest. Yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot about sustainable forest management, but first of all, I mean, uh, if only <laughs> we had such a thing, but it's, 
first of all, it's very, it's very difficult to speak about European forests in general. Uh, you have many biomes, many different practices, many different realities. Uh, so to have a one-size-fits-all approach is, is difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. Uh, what we observe is that the dominant trend in forestry today is the replacement of forests by tree plantations through clear-cuts. Uh, an, uh, an automation of, uh, of the industry a lot. I mean, the forestry industry has destroyed 30% of its, uh, of its workforce in the past decade. Um, this is contributing, but it's not the only factor, of course, but it's really contributing to massive degradation of the land sink. We've heard about uh, how important that, that was. I mean, when we hear about net zero, the net is forest when you, when you talk about land. It's the second biggest land sink we have after the oceans. If we no longer have any forest to suck carbon, we no longer have a net zero policy. Um, Bioenergy already represents about half uh, the EU wood harvest today and can only grow and has actually only grown at the expense of other wood using sectors uh, and particularly the, in particular those using uh, wood residues uh, like the wood panels industry for example. Uh, and so they have very understandably complained very loudly about the use to have to better implement the cascading principle. But it's not the only thing. Uh, you might know John Bell, the head of unit at the DG uh, research of the European Commission. He's in charge of, of the bioeconomy, whom you mentioned earlier, uh, Mr. Ninisto, and uh, he gave an, uh, an interview to Euractiv not long ago where he was complaining that uh, essentially wood was way too precious a resource to be burned and that we were facing a 40 to 70% supply gap in Europe between the available supply and what the bioeconomy actually is going to need. So, you know, voila. Uh, as a last observation, I mean, we are in an energy prices crisis. Uh, as a consequence, many, many, many uh, EU citizens are rushing to wood, to wood pellets in particular, to buying wood boilers. Um, it's very sad. Uh, it's going to happen. It, it is happening. It is happening at the expense of their health, at the expense of forests, at the expense of the climate. And there's nothing, there's pretty much anything, nothing we can do about it. On the other hand, the EU can stop paying energy companies to burn wood. Pierre, let's go to you next. You are uh, very much on the ground in France, so you can tell us about the situation there. Uh, bioenergy has been developing for the past 15 years in France, and that also involves a certain role for forest management. So how has this worked so far in France from your perspective? Well, to, to explain to you uh, the, the question of forest management, maybe uh, uh, we'll start with a, a broader view because France is a country very proud of its forest, but which should be very much ashamed of its heat. Because today, 75% of the heat consumption in France is fossil fuel based, 75%. And the district heating networks represent only 5% of this heat consumption. Once the average in Europe, hopefully, is really much higher around 2025. Well, Pauline knows better than me. And in Scandinavia, it can reach 60, 70 percent. And the district heating network is a, the best collective way to decarbonize heat. So that means we had very much to improve. And 15 years ago, it was even worse. 
even worse. So we hopefully had uh, something called Grenelle de l'Environnement, a general uh, meeting of NGOs, horrible enterprise, everybody discussing around the, uh, under the authority of our Minister of Ecology. And we were able to find common grounds, and that led to the creation of a subsidy fund of the ADEM, the French uh, Institute for Environment, which enabled to start really the development of district heating networks. And I had the very, I was very lucky because uh, I arrived in an enterprise working in uh, energy savings and heat at that moment. And so we started to look for the best solution for each territory. And so I would like to, to, to say that so we are not uh, burning wood lovers. Uh, we are first starting, the, just question of, uh, of wording is very uh, important. Uh, we try to use the residues of forest management to produce renewable heat on a territory where it has a sense. I am in Paris or around Paris, no forest, just towns, but wonderful geothermy. I have uh, the sedimentarian basin just under my feet, so it's easy to find uh, hot, uh, hot water uh, just below, uh, just below the, the surface. Well, just 1,000 meters, but uh, okay, we can manage that. You go in the Massif Central, uh, sorry for the non-French people, it's in the center of France, in a mountainous area, no geothermy but a very, very large forest. And so in Limoges, for example, uh, I started to study the supply of a, a biomass, a biomass boiler to, uh, to be able to develop uh, a district uh, heating. And that was easy because there was forest around, so we, were not, uh, we had not to uh, you know, uh, take lorries, uh, trucks for 100 kilometers. Uh, in average, we look for the wood in 40, 50, 60 kilometers, okay? But what I must say is that when I entered in this company, they knew nothing about uh, biomass. So you know what they were thinking of? Martin, you will uh, cry, I'm sure. Uh, they wanted to grow short rotation copies. For, for them, the solutions to be sure to have biomass supply, it was short rotation copies, hundreds of, uh, of hectares on uh, fields. Uh, instead of growing food, and buying forest. That was totally nonsense. Hopefully, they, they had not started to develop that. And on the contrary, I was coming from, uh, from the forest sector, and I presented them, the landlords, the cooperatives, the uh, uh, very small companies uh, cutting the, the wood. And you have to uh, work with all this array of different people if you want to address each forest near your forest, uh, near your, uh, your boiler. Because in some places you have public forests, so you must uh, work with uh, the French uh, Institute for Forests, the ONF. In other places it's private. You have big landlords who work with cooperatives, and you have very small landlords who will work with these very small uh, companies. And that was the way for us to just insert ourselves in the forest management, to grow uh, trees and to develop the sink, the, the carbon sink. You must grow trees to use them for building houses. I, I hope we agree, we agree on that. And to produce this wood, you must select your oaks. And uh, we were talking before of what's the name? Uh, aspen. Uh, the aspen, on the contrary, if it grows very much in your oak forest, well, uh, you have to thin it. Uh, to take it away, to, to leave space for the oaks uh, growing. So that's normal forest management. 
But this, when you do that, the thinning, it's at the beginning of the growing phase of the forest. So at that moment, you don't earn money because you don't cut big uh, trunks. You just spend money. And from that perspective, the landlords are very much interested to see us coming because we say, okay, we can buy uh, this uh, Aspen. Not very much because uh, we have to compete with gas. So we have not a, a buying capacity uh, very, very high. But we can add some, uh, let's say, uh, salt in the soup. Sorry, I don't know if it's a Brusselian expression, but uh, uh, something, a, a little bit of uh, added value to the forest management uh, process. Sorry, I was too long, but uh, it's a complex issue to, to describe. For, indeed, it certainly is. Um, let's dive in a bit to the definition issue and the cap uh, that Vila, you, you, you mentioned before. So can you explain a little bit more? I mean, Martin was talking about this as market incentives. Um, wh what, is, what is the change here that the parliament is proposing and what would be the effect of it? I think it's important what Martin said, that we are not talking about banning anything, so it's just what is counted as renewables uh, target, that's something that publicly you can support uh, using, using as part of your energy mix. Uh, and capping that it makes sense in the sense that uh, a lot of the member states are using uh, quite a lot of their forest resources already, and uh, countries like Finland and Sweden who have a lot of bioenergy capacity uh, the harvesting has also increased in the five to ten years last years when uh, bioenergy has been the segment which has increased most. So I do agree that it's important to use, uh, according to cascading principle, the uh, forest resources that we are harvesting anyway. So it's important to use it. But we are already developing better and better methods of using even the residues than just burning. Burning is the lowest value product that you can get out of a tree. So nothing should be burned that can be used for an, a better product. That's also economics. Uh, so I do understand that in the short term we will have waste uh, uh, and residues and especially industrial side trees that can be burned. And, and, and maybe should be burned also to uh, limit the use of fossil fuels. But when we look at investments uh, to, for, uh, to, to new solutions, I think district heating is also an area where we see that we have more and more use of waste heat and, and, uh, and uh, industrial uh, excess heat and these kind of solutions where you can get more and more other solutions on the table than, than burning. So I think uh, it's important that the Parliament wants to give a signal that you should look now already to investments in energy that are sustainable in the long term. And I agree with you, you that district heating is a good solution, but uh, only in the short term, I think, bioenergy, burning wood for energy uh, can be seen as, as part of a, a sustainable mix. But if that amount is increased too high, then our forests and their biodiversity cannot tolerate it, and it will also actually lower the productivity of bioeconomy because, because it's the lowest value product that you can get. Pauline, what's your view on this cap? Would it propose a, a pose any kind of problem in terms of getting feedstock? Uh, yes, so, yeah, we, um, sorry, in, in terms of the, the definition of the, of the biomass, and we, we see that um, the, the, the cap and the, the limitation that it would bring um, would have an impact on the sustainability and also the pace of uh, decarbonization for, for our sector. Um, Cutting the the possibility of uh, using um, efficient uh, and efficiently and also circularly this uh, this resource, 
Um, also, um, it, it, could, it could really worsen the, the, the decarbonization pathway of, of our sector. Um, we've also seen um, some studies that are uh, doing some modeling. Uh, for instance, uh, the consultancy in Sweden, uh, Profu, has conducted uh, a modeling and uh, it is showing that uh, such a signal uh, coming from the EU legislation and coming from RED2 uh, could uh, slowly drive away uh, the use of these resources. So in Sweden, so not generally uh, in, in other markets, we, we don't have uh, that many, uh, that many study at hand for, for, um, for the moment, uh, but the, it, it shows that it could increase uh, system costs uh, for transport and for energy within the next uh, 25 years by um, 7 to 8 billion euro. Uh, this could also push to uh, the reduction of, uh, of heating and cooling uh, combined production. Uh, it would also drive, uh, drive the prices up uh, for consumers, so uh, from, from 15 to, to 25 euro per megawatt hour. And overall, it could also decrease the, the competitiveness of the sector um, and, and uh, drive the markets away from uh, district heating towards uh, other solutions that could be in comparison more uh, competitive. So this, these are only uh, a few uh, considerations uh, from, from one market. Um, but in, in terms of the value chain, um, this, this could have uh, quite far-reaching consequences. Martin, how would you respond to some of those concerns? Which ones exactly? There's many. <laughs> you can take your pick, but I can, for okay. instance, that it presents a problem for the market in general. Yeah. Um, you know, Cam, you said that misnaming things uh, adds to the misery of the world, and I agree. Uh, it's very important to get the right definitions. And I would use, I would focus on two. First, residues. Uh, I've heard what you've said about you know, the residues of forest management, but the problem is that uh, biomass incentives, like the subsidies uh, and the zero rating of the emissions also, have given a market price to trees that didn't have one before. You know, uh, all the trees that are the wrong species, the wrong age, the trees that are diseased, etc., they didn't have a market value before. Uh, the biomass incentives arrived. Now they have one, so they're getting logged. And the problem is that they had a very high climate and biodiversity value. Now you can essentially make money off everything in the forest, every tree. That wasn't the case before. Uh, by the way, you, might, you have certainly noticed that the, as we speak, you know, the energy prices are so high that um, uh, the energy companies burning wood don't need subsidies anymore. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because on, on, you know it's a, it's about the contractual difference. Right now, the market price is way above the average. Uh, that's one. Coming to the definition of primary woody biomass, uh, that's an important one. Obviously, it's a bit of a generalization. Uh, what I so you know what I told you that in the literature you see that uh, you should really focus on fast decaying residues. That's a general point to make, uh, but the problem is that to properly, and that's what Sarah said at the beginning, to properly assess the climate, uh, biodiversity, social, economic consequences of a given biomass pathway, it's a, it's a super local discussion. But the problem is that the biomass incentives are not local, they're blind. They reward practically any form of wood burning, and those who are uh, painstakingly trying to implement the RED2 sustainability criteria, we certainly disagree given the sort of bureaucratic nightmare that they're facing. I I'm sorry for that. 
But the, the problem is that the, the definition we inherited from the parliament suffers from some of that, unfortunately, because at the beginning, um, the parliament just used the definition of primary woody biomass that had been proposed by the GRC, which is essentially the definition of roundwood. But then Bioenergy Europe, uh, has the lobby group representing the biomass industry, has, made, has you know, done its job and done some lobbying. Uh, and they are very clear about that in their, in their own reports. Uh, and so they've added a lot of complication. Now you have to, it's essentially it's roundwood minus uh, sanitary cuts, minus fire prevention measures, min minus natural hazards. How can you make the difference? How can you tell that this pile of shredded wood is actually coming from fire prevention measures and this, pile of sh this other pile of shredded wood, which looks exactly the same, uh, it come from, has a, a different provenance? You can't. This makes, you know, this complication really makes the whole uh, definition and policy very difficult to implement. So our plea would be that please keep things simple and uh, work on the incentives, not the definition, because this definition, I think, is very, is, is very bad for the industry and is very bad for forests. Pierre, you wanted to respond to the idea of not needing subsidies anymore. Well, the, the problem is that uh, without subsidy, we will stop biomass district eating in France because... Let's just remember that uh, just one year ago, one year ago, gas prices were at 20 euros per megawatt. Yeah. Uh, now, they are really higher, but look, uh, you are the mayor of a small town, not that rich, but uh, you are very much annoyed because everybody in your town is crying because of the gas prices. Mm -hmm. So you want to do something. Yeah. So maybe a district eating. Okay, so we discuss. Well, he will invest you will invest for 30 years. District heating is in a long-term investment. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me to, uh, to swear that gas prices will not go down, I'm not able to do that. So the mayor, he wants to be sure that uh, if he invests to uh, cheaper heat, he won't have the problem in 10 years' time to have again uh, the people in the, in the town saying, hey, uh, why did you do that? Because uh, now gas prices are lower. I'm, I'm afraid it won't happen. No? I'm afraid the, the, the prices. So just to say that, once I have said that, we have to face a reality. A biomass boiler is five times more expensive than a gas boiler. To, when you buy it, when you construct it. And after, you, you need more people to manage that. Gas boiler, very easy, you, know, you, you press the button, up, it fires, it, it makes heat. And it's much cleaner. Uh, biomass. Uh, In terms of air pollution, it's very, very much cleaner. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a fossil fuel, yes. but... Hopefully, we have made, uh, I think, uh, all the proofs of our capacity to, uh, to respect the, the European uh, very stringent standards on, on, air, on air emissions. Uh, I won't say it's zero, for sure, but uh, hopefully we have not... Uh, it's not an open chimney. It's true that open chimneys today, I, I agree with you, for the moment, the problem is open chimneys and everybody is looking for, uh, for wood in the, in the forest of the, of the neighbor because that's, a, that's an easy way. Uh, that's a problem, difficult to manage, uh, to manage. So that's why we consider that individual eating is dangerous. Uh, collective eating is, is the right answer. And again, I, I refer, uh, when I started uh, so biomass supply for uh, my company in France, uh, I went to Finland 
just to uh, to understand how you were uh, how you were making and I, it's a dream to for us when we, we we look at the Finland example for two reasons you have so much district eating and sorry but your forest is so simple to uh, to manage compared with the French one the French one is not like that it's like that it's full of a deciduous uh, a tree so for example it's not possible to harvest branch and uh, use bundles makers so uh, we have to do uh, things uh, uh, it's more in uh, artisan how do you say Yes. Can I just ask, when you're saying subsidies, what subsidies you mean? Harvesting subsidies? No, no. The EDBS price or a separate uh, uh, feed in tariff? Uh, uh, subsidies for constructing the boiler, which is delivered okay. by the ADEM, the French uh, European uh, Environment Institute. Okay. So uh, they look, how do, how do they do? Uh, we present them the, the invest. Uh, the, without subsidies, the prices of heat, which is a, which is a result compared uh, with fossil fuel uh, price and then the subsidy is put to uh, to have a competitive uh, green uh, a competitive green heat and each time uh, so we, we can then uh, as I, I said already uh, make uh, geothermal or waste heat mm -hmm. uh, but uh, when we propose a biomass uh, filed boiler then we have to to give them um, uh, a supply, a supply map. That means where are we going to look for the wood? Uh, which kind of, of biomass? It might be coming from the forest, but uh, you're right. There are other, hopefully, other sources: uh, waste wood, uh, waste wood, and uh, sawdust. Uh, so to. to I come yeah. from a rural uh, father, and I, I say always, don't put your eggs all your eggs in the same basket. I just so. want to zoom out a bit here because you know, the, the end goal here is, of course, sustainably managed forests. That's where we want to get to with the legislation. That's where the bioenergy companies want to get to. Um, Sarah, let me go out to you. When we're looking at what is the most sustainable way to produce bioenergy in the forest in what you guys have been looking at, I mean, it, we're hearing all kinds of different uh, ideas here, but what, what do you rank as the most sustainable way to manage for us? Yeah, I, I would f disagree with your fundamental premise that our goal is to look, uh, is to um, establish how to sustainably manage forests. While, uh, like hypocritically, we're thinking, okay, let's try some technology for carbon capture storage, but actually forests are pretty good at that naturally with or without management. So I have trouble answering the question because I don't understand fundamentally with the premise. And um, I just want to bring in one, I'm sorry to not be, be clear, but I, I want to bring in a couple of points that I, I find this debate really interesting and, and it's not new to me. Um, I'm not an expert in, in any of the specific topics, you know, forest management or, 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 or uh, decarbonization or transport or heating. But um, yeah, I'm an environmental scientist uh, and working at the science to policy um, interface, I find it interesting that, for example, Pauline was referring to our sector has to decarbonize, but there's also the LULUCF sector. So we kind of ignore that sector, but that sector, the land use, land use change and forestry sector is really uh, the powerhouse behind it is, is forests. So forests, this, um, 
absorb a lot of carbon just naturally. We don't need, you know, the, the technology to help us with that. We have targets for that sector as well. So the target is to increase the sink of the LULUCF sector. And to do that, um, yeah, you have to either reduce uh, uh, harvesting or there are other solutions. You can, you know, try and lock carbon into harvested wood products or there are other solutions. But what I want to say is I think that we have to decide or it's the policy, um, it's a political decision on where to invest because humans are capable of innovation, right? Are we going to innovate and um, invest that innovation power and resources into carbon capture storage? Or what about the bioeconomy? So Pierre was talking about thinnings. What do you do with residues from thinnings? Um, yeah, landowners uh, can't afford or, or may not manage their forests in a way to produce nice industrial round wood for harvested wood products if they don't have a revenue. But if we improve the technology or the innovation in the bioeconomy so that we can use small branches with bark uh, for something else like mm, panels, I don't know, there are many innovative wood products. Um, you know, that, that's a different direction entirely. If we, it's a decision. So do we want, what do we want? Do we want to boost bioenergy from forests or not? And it, it, there are many, many solutions. That's, that's my point about the system's view is that mm, uh, we can't, there is not only one. So that's why I don't, I can't answer your question. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Keating, <laughs> on how to sustainably manage forests to, for bioenergy because I fundamentally disagree with it, so. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so I'm going to go to the questions from the audience because we've had a lot of questions come in. Vila, let me put this first question to you. Uh, it's from Jeremy Gielen uh, with, the bio, with Bioenergy Europe. Um, so he asks, if you restrict the use of wood for material and energy in the EU, and I think it's debatable whether it's restricting, as we discussed before, how do you prevent the wood from being harvested elsewhere in the world where sustainability is much less of a concern and then being imported to the EU resulting in much bigger greenhouse gas emissions? Well, obviously that's also included. I mean, if you burn any wood from anywhere within European Union, it's counted in this, this capping. So that will, so, so you can't do that. I mean, it's not possible. Often, often this, is, uh, this is an argument that has been used that, that we have to do things bad because otherwise, otherwise others will do things bad as well. It's not really logical. We can do things better and, and then making sure also that the global rules are, are improved uh, so that we don't, do not export our problems elsewhere. And uh, if you look at the European resources and, and, uh, and, uh, and forests, obviously I do agree. I come from Finland. I'm not the green who says that we can't uh, cut forests and not harvest forests. So majority of the forests in a country like Finland will also in the future be economically managed, but they need to be more biodiversity friendly uh, way managed and they need to be uh, the resources used from there need to be the, according to the cascading principle. And for example, Stura which is one of the big forest companies who's looking uh, already kind of like beyond burning. They have, for example, now plans uh, to develop from Linnine that you get from cellulosa uh, batteries. 
So that's a high-end product. Why, why in the world we would burn something which we could use as a resource for a battery to replace uh, 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 minerals and, and, and uh, materials that we don't have in Europe? So we have to think smart and use the limited amount of wood-based resources we have for something that is valuable. I think it's really funny logic that you say we have to be circular and then you burn it. Burning is not circular, burning is ending it. So circularity means that you use a resource as smart and as long as possible in a way where you can, you can make sure that that, that that is a sustainable method of using that resource forever. And we know that we are uh, very close to the limit of, of uh, what we can... Uh, also, you have to remember that not everything from a forest is supposed to be collected. So you, the forest needs for its, uh, its growth also to have biomass there, uh, decomposing. It will need to, biodiversity needs to have a lot of dead, tree and, uh, dead trees, uh, both on the ground and, and also standing. So I think in Finland we have an understanding that even the forestry people know that we are at the maximum capacity of bioenergy, I think, currently already. People know that we can't get more out sustainably, and we are at the risk of using too much if we want to develop these products like Ling9. So I think uh, kind of like you're working against the future trends by trying to maximize the use of, of forests uh, for burning. You should try to use them in the interim period, yes, correct, but try to uh, look at solutions that are, are better products. And, and I do understand that in the short term, in some places, some investment may still be smart to do to replace fossil fuels and use of gas. But you should always look at, is this the best way to do it? Is this locally produced wood? Can we harvest it sustainably? Can we avoid uh, taking too much out of the forest so that the biodiversity doesn't have decomposing material enough? Those are the preconditions that you need to have locally in order to, to invest in a, in a solution type like you have done. I think it, it can be done sustainably. But the scales are already so big in many member states that that's why I think the capping idea of the parliament is good. It's not uh, banning anything, so you can still do it, but we do not economically support it uh, with political decisions. That's, that's a, a kind of like a political signal that we should try to look at better solutions. Well, the next question is for both Martin and Sarah. So I'll put it to Martin first, and then Sarah, I'll go to you. Uh, the question is from Solène Charpentier from EDF. Um, it's about the use of residues. Uh, residues, are t t residues today include in the definition of primary woody biomass while they are considered as a win-win path for using forest, forest biomass in the JRC report. What is the rationale behind this specific definition? So uh, there is exactly one win-win pathway um, that is part of uh, primary woody biomass in the GRC report, and that's the one, uh, it's scenario five, and that's linking to fine woody debris, that's slash essentially, it's fine branches and that's leaves. You don't power an industry out of that, first of all. Every other pathway is lose-lose in the GRC report. Uh, when it comes to climate and biodiversity uh, in, the, in the broader you know, uh, primary biomass. So, you know, with this kind of limitation, it's pretty clear that, again, uh, the RED, the Renewable Energy Directive, is not about forest management. That's something else uh, that we have to keep in mind. It's, it's an energy text. It's the same energy text that already caused the palm oil disaster, if you recall. You know, so we have these enormous blind incentives in front of a very delicate local topic. Of course, things can only go wrong, and they do go wrong. 
So that's the reason why I think the Parliament's approach to be at the same time simple and smooth in the transition because you know you have a five years delay whatever you do in terms of the ending of the subsidies because that's the way the legislation, the legislation works anyway so it's about which and i i very much um, agree with sarah's message here is what is the signal that the eu wants to send investors what is the eu the, the, the what is the signal that uh, the eu wants to send about the future of its energy is it burning wood again like we've done for one million years already or do we want something that's actually cleaner and that is not done at the expense of our health, at the expense of forest, and the expense of our future? I'm sorry to use these big words, but that is the case. We need forests uh, because we are part of them. You know, we are animals. We depend on the survival of biodiversity of, na of nature. And again, uh, as humans, we go down from the tree. Uh, we are very, very close from the forest ecosystem. If, if we destroy that, it's going to be at the last point. Uh, I couldn't insist more that, of course, we need to replace bioenergy with uh, more added values. But if we, tr you know, if we transform all the trees into microplastics as opposed to burning them, I'm not sure we've gained much. So, so again, it's about forest management at the local level and how you organize it. And that's a, difficult, uh, that, that's a difficult and sensitive discussion. It's about democracy, it's about governance, and it's certainly not about sweeping uh, continent-wide uh, market incentives for you know, you know, the, the way they are organized now. Okay, so Sarah, I want to put that question to you as well. And we have another related question for you, Sarah. Uh, it's from Irene. It is, do you know which of the pathways identified by the JRC are already illegal under Red 2 or unlikely to be implemented? Okay, I'll start with the second one. So just to be clear that the pathways that we examined are not exhaustive. Um, there are many, many pathways. We chose the pathways that we thought were, we consider them aspirational pathways. So should the demand for wood for bioenergy increase, this is probably, these are probably logical pathways that would be pursued. So for, that includes afforestation of, uh, of grasslands. Um, it includes, um, yeah, collecting more uh, fine and uh, coarse woody debris. It includes, you know, plantation or, or in an extreme, uh, cutting a semi-natural forest or primary forest and putting monoculture forest. So these are extremes and, and often uh, we didn't use the EU even as a model. We were thinking of other areas in, in the world because as the honorable member said, uh, rightfully, the red is applied, the sustainability criteria is applied as well to the outside, the other, um, the rest of the world. I hate saying that, but that's what it, that's what we call it. Um, so regarding the second question, um, what is banned? So now I'm not sure if the, the, the question is referring to the review of the, the red or the 2018. I assume it's the review because we wrote this report in between the two. And in that case, then the review um, uh, does um, nominate stumps and roots as not being a sustainable feedstock. And that was one of our lose-lose um, uh, pathways. And the others are kind of in between. I mean, you have, it, I guess it, it depends on how this trilogue goes, but um, uh, another possibility, for example, is um, yeah, the conversion of forest to to plantation. Right now, it's not really clear if biodiversity-rich forest includes 
the 89% of European forests that are semi-natural or not. So that would make a big difference, for example. So I, it's not really clear yet. Um, we have two questions for Vila that have come in. They're related, so I'm going to put them together. So the first question is from Summer Ackerman uh, from Europe Beyond Burning. My question is, can you please expand why you think burning biomass is less harmful than burning fossil fuels when it has been shown that burning biomass is more emissions than burning fossil fuels? Second question related is from Annie Oprizzi from Bioenergy Europe. Considering that fossil fuels are heavily subsidized, don't you think that banning support for biomass for energy and not considering it as a renewable source will be a de facto ban? Okay, so two, two opposite questions. Two, yeah. Yeah, exactly. uh, that's why I, I do still kind of like personally think that biomass, using biomass in the short term is a better, better alternative to fossil fuels, mainly because they are domestic and local resources. We are not depending on uh, fossil fuel uh, producers in countries which are mostly dictatorships uh, and, and, and the, uh, Russia. So I, I see this as part of a broader geopolitical uh, consideration. Uh, biomass burning, if they are side streams that can be collected without harm, harm to biodiversity uh, from a harvest that would happen anyway, uh, you can see that it has uh, uh, less negative uh, effects than, than fossil fuel burning has. But still, what I'm trying to say that in the long term, we should go beyond burning. So, so we should still see that, that uh, uh, we should try to develop uh, other products, better products. We can more and more use, uh, use uh, even uh, wastes and, and residues for, for better products like textiles in the future. And cellulose can be developed into a number of other products like, like this link node that Sturainso is developing for, for replacing uh, batteries. Uh, so uh, I think... Uh, we have to be creative about this, and uh, the question about capping uh, the subsidies and support and, and counting it as renewables uh, in, the, in the national targets uh, of, of biomass, I think it's still a signal where we say that, you know, that uh, when we cap, you still will use the current amount that you have been using, but the further investment goes into better renewables, solidly sustainable renewables, and uh, I, I worked a lot with district heating companies, and I think in Finland they are looking already at geothermal, at, uh, at heat pumps. When you have a low price in the electricity market, you can use heat pumps. You can use uh, very cheap uh, electricity from wind power to turn it into, into heat. And you are more and more storing heat in, in underground caverns, so you can use also heat as a storage. So these solutions make district heating look possible even in quite a short term uh, as a solution that goes beyond burning. Uh, so I think, uh, I think there are exciting prospects here where we don't have choose, to choose between plague and cholera like, like, uh, like uh, fossil fuels and burning wood. We can use wood still, but for better end results. Uh, we can support biodiversity bigger, better we can, because we can, we can limit harvesting into a sustainable level. So we still need more protection of forests. I agree with that as well. And, and then we can look at, at uh, wind, uh, solar, uh, geothermal, and all these kind of like holistic solutions uh, and, and batteries and, and storage as well to, to, to avoid burning in the future. The next question is for Pauline. It comes from James Hewitt. 
Burning wood for residential and municipal heating tends to generate unhealthy emissions of particulate matter. Should the EU revise regulations so that new furnaces are prohibited if their concentrations of air pollutants exceeds levels compliant with World Health Organization guidelines? Okay, thanks. Uh, so I think I, I would start saying that, uh, and, and we already mentioned that in, in the discussion, that um, while well, using biomass in, in, uh, efficiently actually in, uh, in a combined heat and power uh, brings, brings more benefit uh, in terms of heat in the residential sector than, for instance, uh, using that uh, in, in open fires or uh, without kind of uh, pollution control that is brought uh, with the centralized production uh, in a plant that um, has a diff different type of filtration system and uh, where where essentially basically produce and control. So uh, I, I think this is still uh, um, fulfilling like the, the the air pollution criteria that are uh, imposed by the the European Union, and uh, we see that. Um, yeah, this this brings uh, a lot more benefits, uh, and and in a, to to use this biomass in a more controlled uh, uh, environment. Um, okay, next question. This is also from James Hewitt. I want to put this to uh, Pierre and Pierre. Also, if you want to answer that last question as well, feel free. Um, I've just lost. It's, I I love that you were all talking to each other in the Q and A's, but this makes my job very difficult. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I wonder if some of you are in the room together, talking to each other in here. Uh, okay, I can't find it at the moment. But it is uh, it's about wood pellets and the approach in the US. So it's the definition used for wood pellets uh, in the US. Um, I mean, essentially, the, the, the thrust of the question is, should the EU be looking toward the US for definitions in terms of woody biomass? Ah, well, uh, it's difficult for me to answer to this question because I have no idea of the of the U.S. Uh, of the of the U.S. definition. But uh, I would take the opportunity to answer to another question, which is uh, how you how can you limit the quantities of wood for used for burning biomass? Okay, uh, maybe I have uh, already explained enough that we need uh, we need biomass to be able to reach our objectives in France for decarbonizing heating, for multiplying uh, district heating networks from 5 to 20% of the, of, the uh, of the heat consumptions. But the best way to do that with the less, uh, with minimum quantity of food, is to do energy savings. It should be priority number one of every policy energy in all Europe to really focus on 40% energy savings minimums in all uh, in all houses in all uh, in all buildings and for us from our point of view it's always forgotten we always uh, talk first of energy production we should first talk of uh, of energy uh, of energy uh, consumption so that's really the first way to save biomass and the second one is to uh, adopt a red three which is saying no more uh, power-only plants. For me, it's, uh, it's just a shame when you transform only 30%, 25-30% of the energy inside the wood instead of 70-80% uh, in a CHP or in a just uh, uh, heat, uh, heating, uh, heating boiler. Uh, 
I'm, I have been a personal, it's a, it has been a personal fight which I have uh, lost in France because we have a big plant in, uh, in Gardanne, uh, just fired with uh, just producing power. Well, replacing coal, that's good news, but wasting... 10% coal. Wasting, ah, uh, still, okay. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't have subsidized that with a fill-in tariff uh, on that. Uh, I think we have a common, uh, a common ground. So yeah. this provision of Red 3 will be, uh, will be good and... If we ban that, I think we, uh, the, the risk you were saying of uh, having an explosion of uh, using uh, biomass without subsidies, for me, will be, uh, will be limited. Because when you produce yeah. it, you don't sell it uh, very, uh, at a very high price. Yeah. It's no. a commodity uh, with, not much, uh, with not much value. On power, you can make dreams of uh, high, uh, higher. That's the thing. I'm uh, sorry. I'm, I'm very happy to hear you say that because uh, there's really there's really no justification anymore for subsidizing electricity out of wood. I mean, it's inefficient. It's polluting. Uh, as you say, it's like thirty percent efficiency. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, it's 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 about the heating and it's about the how do you organize it in a way that you have to reduce. I'm also ha very happy to hear you say that the first investment should be energy savings because that's absolutely the case. Unfortunately, neither, neither of these things are very clear in the red as it stands. Uh, the, the commission tried to exclude electricity only plants, but it introduced so many restrictions that it it's yeah, it's it's worthless. Honestly, um, combined heat and power plants are the I mean the big risk that we I, I think we should absolutely try to avoid is the conversion uh, of coal to biomass plants, and you have many of those, and those are driving enormous amounts of wood. Uh, you know, just one plant in the UK, uh, Drax, is itself is um, uh, twelve hundred megawatts, so it's a big nuclear plant, but it's. It's not an enormous thing. It's burning more wood than the annual harvest of the whole country. Mm. Okay, it's the UK. It's, it's, it's import. Mm. So exactly. So they import everything, and actually the, the main uh, the main uh, room for growth actually in the bioenergy sector is through imports. And even bioenergy Europe itself sometimes uh, acknowledges this, and that's indefensible. But should it, will it be prohibited a new drugs with uh, the red tree provisions? That should be the goal. It should be, it should be uh, but I'm not sure it is. The European Parliament is working on that. Yeah, so it would be limited. Okay, we have another question for Sarah from the audience. It's from Marta Ikowski. Uh, so uh, Marta asks, if I understood correctly, does what you're saying mean that forest management is per se not sustainable? How would we then cope with forest fires or droughts directly related to poor forest management? Did Marta understand you correctly, Sarah? No. <laughs> well, possibly she understood correctly, but I misspoke. If, yeah, if, if she misunderstood, then others did as well. No, clearly um, forest management is, is an important thing. I was just sort of playing a bit the role of... Um, let's go to the extreme and just rewild, you know? <laughs> so I think we, we shouldn't forget that that is actually a viable option. Um, yeah, if we want to increase our sink and absorb more carbon, then forests are good at that. And that's what I was saying. Of course, um, yeah, things would collapse if we didn't um, have forest management because that's how we obtain resources from forests. It's one service that forests provide. That's a provisional service of timber or wood when, and there are many others, you know, non-wood forest products, flood control, uh, clean air and clean water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And um, yeah, you can argue, this is what I was trying to say in, in my introduction is that you can argue many different facets and there's no right or wrong answer globally, but I think we all agree. And I've heard it from Pierre and from Martin, from uh, Pauline, et cetera, that um, yeah, it's a very local uh, decision, what is best. So I, I just read a paper uh, from Northern Canada where really the only viable options are diesel generators or bioenergy plants. Um, there, there, there was, there is no option. You know, they're off the grid. So it's a very localized. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case for for central France, but um, uh, I think we all agree that that there is no one blanket solution, and that's why I have trouble answering a question on uh, sustainable forest management when it really depends if it's my backyard, your backyard, and what the objectives are. Well, you mentioned. Uh, rewilding. It's kind of related to this next question, which will be from Martin. Uh, the question is from Mary Booth from the Partnership for Policy Integrity. Uh, given the forest carbon sink is declining drastically or has been lost completely, as in Estonia, Austria, and Finland, can you talk about the importance of not just a cap, but an active reduction in biomass use? Do you think there needs to be an active reduction? Yes, I mean, you can see that the proportion of uh, the wood harvest in Europe uh, that is being burned has kept increasing and increasing and increasing uh, since the red market incentives uh, for biomass were, were introduced in 2009. Uh, as we said, that's coming at the expense of other wood-using sectors. Uh, it's coming at the expense of forest and, the, and of the climate. So yes, we have by all means to reduce the absolute amounts of biomass that we use. Uh, the problem is how <laughs> uh, to organize it in a way that, you know, I mean, if you take a, a country like Hungary, Hungary relies on, I think, 65% of its renewables energy mix comes from primary woody biomass, right? Because they haven't invested almost at all on wind and solar because they're not interested. Uh, because, precisely because uh, the red enables uh, member states to count uh, wood as part of their renewables mix, then uh, people, uh, members that have just started counting domestic burning, you know, which is uh, in, including in open air chimneys, uh, which is polluting, inefficient, etc. They do count this as well. Huh? They count this as well. Yeah, no, exactly. They, they do count all, all of that. Uh, so, as really, at the moment, we are facing a really unpleasant situation where the EU renewables targets are actually undermining the EU climate and biodiversity action. You know, uh, so through the bioenergy issue. There's a very good comment, commentary published in Nature, I think, yesterday or today, that shows that uh, the, the big problem of the whole Fit for 55 uh, program, actually, is bioenergy, because that's essentially outsourcing uh, Europe's land use to the rest of the world. Um, and, yeah, uh, so I, I, I'll wrap and uh, simply... Um, uh, uh, conclude by, yes, we, we need to find a way, uh, a timeline, and, and a pathway for reducing uh, biomass use in Europe, uh, ideally back to pre-2009 levels, because at least, the, you know, that's the problem that the Red created, so at least we want to solve this one. But because we are in a climate crisis, I mean, you, all, you also have to revisit 
to what extent we should rely uh, the the energy sector, for example, on on bioenergy. Uh, that you always have the special cases, like the off-grid people, uh, the people who are too poor to heat themselves in any other way. That's, I mean, humans have been burning wood for a million years. They will continue. The problem is, should we you know, incentivize them to do so? And I don't think so. Villa, you want to come in? Yeah, I think it's also important if you think about the, the carbon sinks and, and biodiversity of our forests, we also have the biodiversity loss that we need to address. Yes. And we know that uh, in, in most European countries, a big driver for loss of biodiversity is, is harvesting. Yeah. Uh, old, old growth forests are still being harvested, so we need to make sure that the uh, biodiverse rich forests are protected. And then those forests that still will be used economically need to be moving more towards sustainable methods, so, so continuous growth uh, forestry, uh, multi-generational, multi-species forests, uh, and, and less of, of, of uh, this clear-cutting uh, policy. And I think one big problem with biomass burning is that biomass burning is part of uh, a philosophy because in the clear-cutting model, when you uh, plant uh, a few species all at one time, it's kind of like a Nordic plantation. It's more or less tree plantation, uh, so it's not a real forest. Uh, that creates uh, a young forest where we'll, you will need to do this, this, uh, this first harvesting at the age of 2025, which is, which is uh, not uh, suitable for high-quality products. So clear-cutting methods uh, increase the demand for for using wood for for energy, but when we move more towards continuous growth forestry, having big trees, having longer circulation period, we get more sinks, we get more better trees for uh, wooden construction, really really long uh, products that store carbon properly. Yeah. So we get better sinks, we get better biodiversity in forests, and we get more higher higher end value products. So this clear cutting uh, and then biomass burning kind of a philosophy is a total waste of resources, total waste of land, and total degradation of biodiversity. So it should be, I'm just saying because I come from a country where this is done in a massive scale, and I was a bit laughing when you said that we have such nice uh, forest because you are speaking about those plantations that they are growing. They are uh, simple. I, was well, I was saying simple. <laughs> yeah, simple. yeah, they are simple but because they only plant two trees, two, two tree species. <laughs> but forests are not simple. Even Nordic forests are very multi-diverse when they are natural. Mm. So we should move uh, more towards respecting the forest as an ecosystem and they taking resources from that context. In, uh, according to the cascading principle. And that already would lower the, the uh, resources available for burning in a sustainable way, because you, they, you will, that such a forest also needs more decomposing material and so on. So I think, uh, I think the big problem is, and I think that what the Nature article also uh, showed, uh, is that if we push for more and more burning of wood, we would continue methods which are not sustainable forest management and we would erode biodiversity continuously. I do agree in the short term that burning wood, especially in combined heat and power, is better than many alternatives, but it should be based on a very local uh, sustainable pool of resources yeah, and analysis that is based on, on solid science. Mm -hmm. that this can be done in the short term at least, more or less. Sustainably, you still have the CO2 emissions. You still have the most small particulate emissions, but maybe less than some other alternatives that that you could invest in such a context. But the scale of what we are doing already.
is so big that we do have a problem with this. Well, we're just about out of time, and so Pierre, I just wanted to let you respond to that. And could you also respond to this idea that we need to use less biomass as the, the last question? Yeah, as I said, let, let's do energy savings. That's well, we'll need less bi bi biomass. But what I would add is what we should do. We should uh, harvest legally. We should regenerate forest where you, you harvest forest. We should regulate for sure in protected areas. Don't cut trees in Bielovieja, as we said, or in an integral reserve in a national, uh, in a national French, uh, French park for sure. We should preserve biodiversity, soils quality, maintain long-term production capacity of forest, and be uh, looking at the uh, sorry, uh, soil utilization uh, not make a short rotation copies on, <laughs> on agricultural fields. Uh, this list is very good, I think. It's the list of red too. It was, it, the, the only problem is that uh, even in France where uh, I think we try to be uh, good pupils when applying red too, it takes time. That means, you know, this eight, 80 pages document, it's for the, it's the red, what we want to apply in France for the certification uh, system uh, of, uh, of biomass uh, using in all France. And we need still the authorization, the validation by the European Commission so that we can in 2003 apply it. So from my point of view, okay, I'm on the terrain, I'm not in Brussels. I just know that uh, we have to apply that next year. But for the moment, uh, we don't know really if it will be useful because uh, the, the rules might change. So we should be also aware that uh, to really assess a regulation, understand that there are problems in Europe today, but we, we must be conscious that uh, RED2 is not enforced, in fact, on, on that subject. On that that subject. Well, I want to thank the panelists for some really interesting insights. I think we've heard a lot of different perspectives here. Also, thanks to Sarah for joining us remotely and really giving us some great context here, I think, in, in this whole discussion. Certainly a lot to look out for as these trilogues continue, uh, but also, as you just mentioned, just in the implementation of Red 2, the, the previous uh, incarnation there is a lot to be watching and looking out for. Uh, so thank you very much to the panelists. Thank you to the audience. I hope that you continue your very lively debate that's happened in the Q&A uh, out there uh, with, uh, with some food and cocktails. Uh, so I wish you all an excellent rest of your night, and thank you for spending your evening with us. <laughs>